have a Bible handy, I want to invite you to turn, please, to the book of Exodus and chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, we find that a very important event has unfolded and we see that the children of Israel had uh, broken the law of God as Moses was up on Mount Sinai with Joshua, his servant. And I believe that uh, it is important for us uh, to take a look and see some things here and how they uh, relate to us here today in 2020 in this particular age and time in which we live. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Exodus 32, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought, to do unto this people. Father, tonight help us to gain the sense of what you have set before us, I pray, in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. As you know well, Moses left the people at the base of Mount Sinai and ascended with Joshua up into the mount, there the mount of God, to meet with the Lord Himself and there to receive from the very hand of God the commandments that the Lord would give unto them. And as they tarried there, communing with the Lord, the people became impatient in the camp. And they said to Aaron, We don't know what's become of Moses, and so we want you to make us a God. And, and so Aaron listened to the voice of the people, and he took of the gold from their earrings which they had carried out of Egypt and they put them into the fire and they, they made a molten calf. They, uh, they caused a calf to be formed and they engraved that calf and they set it up and they declared it to be their God. And Aaron, we know, placed a, 
an altar before that, and the people did worship there, and and they brought offerings unto that molten image and said, this is the God that brought us out of the land of Egypt. And we know that the Bible gives us a little more commentary on this in the latter part of that chapter. We see that um, in verse number uh, 22, Aaron was explaining these things and uh, Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not as, what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. And then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked... For Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gather themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. What we find is that the people were dancing naked around this graven image. And of course Aaron who was the priest was tasked with creating this graven image and and Moses called him to account, and of course he tried to pass all the blame off on the people and somehow tried to say that he put all this stuff in the fire and poof, out popped this golden calf. And what we discover came up against the people of God at the time that Moses was on Mount Sinai communing with the Lord for the people. We see there the three enemies of the soul that have waged against us. Since the Garden of Eden, we see the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see in James chapter 3 that the, the wisdom that is from this world is earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. They chose an earthly image and they, they, they made a god of that earthly image. We find that not only earthly but sensual, we saw that they danced in the shame of their nakedness uh, before their, their God, and they brought shame upon themselves in the sight of all the enemies of God. And then it was devilish. They took of their gold, and they worshipped an image of gold. And I would tell you this, that the Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. When we worship the gold, every evil thing uh, becomes a possibility uh, in our existence, and, and that is precisely what the devil wants to do. And what we find here is that when Moses uh, cried out to the Lord, he said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? What we notice here is that Moses is crying out to the Lord for mercy. And I'm going to just simply say this, that God is a God of justice. God is a God of absolute holiness. And what God would have been within His right as a holy and a just God to do at that moment would have been to destroy every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in the camp for the fact that they have violated every law that God had given them. They were there uh, totally flouting the holiness of God and disregarding the man of God and the, and the work that God had given him to do in their behalf. And, and so God would have been just in doing so. And these people weren't crying out for justice at this moment, for they knew had they cried out for justice, they would all have been dead. They would have been consumed. The truth is that 
what they needed at that moment was not justice, but they needed mercy. And so we find that Moses, once again, as he had many times before, stood before the Lord in the behalf of the people to advocate and cry out to God for mercy upon the people that God had delivered from the land of Egypt. And I would just simply say this to you, that what we need is we need the mercy of the Lord. And we, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we come and we become the recipients of the mercy of God. Those who are under wrath, those who are under judgment because of sin, are just like those that were in bondage in Egypt, which is a type of sin. And Moses is crying out to the Lord for their mercy. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so we know that it is the mercy of God that these people needed. It is a mercy of God that we need. We, we can cry out for justice, and I know there's social justice that people are crying out for, but let me say this to you, that every man, no matter who he is, where he comes from, needs more than he needs uh, to be treated kindly by others, more than he needs to be given an opportunity to find a job, more than he needs health care. He needs the mercy of God. And so Moses cried out for, for God to show mercy upon his people. And then what we find is further, there was a judgment to pay. The Levites came. They were the priestly tribe. And Moses cried out and said, Who is on the Lord's side? And I, and I believe today that there is a call going out uh, from every God-fearing church saying, who is on the Lord's side? Calling people to come to a place where they will engage a holy God and will involve themselves in the work of the Lord in the way that God appoints. And I wonder tonight if, if someone would just stand up and say, I'm on the Lord's side and I'm willing uh, to gird myself and put on a sword and take my stand for a holy God. I, I want to be counted as one that is on the Lord's side. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we try to get God's people on our side. We want people to, to jump over and do what we want them to do. But listen, we don't need to get people on our side. We need to get on God's side. The fact of the matter is this, that I don't want to just invite people to church. I want to invite them to Jesus Christ. I want to invite them to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Not to come to my church, but to come to my Savior and be saved and determine that they are on the Lord's side. And tonight, God is looking for some folks that would say, uh, I, you can count on me. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm among the Levites. I'll gird myself. I'll put on a sword. I'll be willing to take my stand for a holy God. And then what we discover is that uh, Moses cried out to the Lord for forgiveness, for forgiveness. We see that in verse number 31, uh, in verse 30 rather, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. If you're reading in your, in your Bible there in verse number 32, after Moses cries out and says, Yet if thou wilt forgive their sin, there's a prolonged dash. I believe that that was the groaning that was a groaning that could not even be put into words that Moses was crying out to the Lord with, with a great lamentation in his heart. And, and God knew the sincerity of his heart. He said, God, I, I want you to forgive their sin. And he said, but if not, blot me 
I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Take my name out of the book if you won't save the people. God, would you forgive them? You know, what we need more than we need a stimulus check. What we need more than we need a, another politician to give us more platitudes and promises that one side or the other will try to hold up. What we need more than we need a better paying job. What we need more than a miracle drug to cure our illnesses. What we need more than better health care is we need the forgiveness of God. God will show mercy upon His people, but we need the forgiveness that can cancel sin's debt, that will wipe it out, meaning it will no longer be held against us. And Moses is crying out to the Lord, asking God, would you please forgive them? Would you cancel this sin debt that is against them? And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 9, when he said, I wish that myself were a curse for my kinsmen after the flesh. Literally, if it were possible, he was praying. He said, if it were possible, I wish that myself were a curse for my kinsmen after the flesh. God, if, if, if they can't be saved, then I wish that I could go to hell in their stead and that they might be saved. His heart was so passionate for them to be saved. Here we see Moses, whose heart was so passionate for, for God's people to be delivered that he was willing to have his own name blotted from out of the book of life if it were possible. And my folks, my uh, folks and I, I, I just want to say that God is looking for some people on his side who will take a stand and be so passionate for souls, so passionate for others to be saved, uh, that they would come to this place where they cry out to God with the heaviness of heart. And sometimes the heaviness of their heart can never be even put into words such that there's just a, a protracted dash in the canon of Scripture uh, that reveals the heaviness of a heart that is just beyond mere words to express the desire and the passion that is there for folks to be saved. And I wonder who is on the Lord's side tonight that will take a stand and with the heaviness of heart say, my passion is for people to be saved. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I had some grown-up conversations with some African-American men, and I'm going to tell you my heartaches for what they experience, and I am sorry for how they have felt that pain in their heart and that fear every time a police car went down the street. And I'm sorry that they've been singled out, but my friend, God is looking for someone that will be more passionate for a God of mercy to forgive and to save their loved ones, then we are passionate about social justice. Because the truth is, until God changes the heart of a man, nothing will change about his life. The truth is that God must change a man from the inside out. You can give a man a job, you can give a man money, but if you don't change his heart, he's the same man and will come to the same end after it's all over, I'm simply saying, he cried out and said, Lord, if thou wilt forgive. Now, I can recall years ago, a few years back, before Brother Hilmer Holmes went to be with the Lord, there was a, a big discussion that was had among the people that attended the Revelation and Prophecy class about um, the, the book of life. And this happened to be one of the the primary text that was studied during that period of time. And the conclusion was, was uh, found here in this passage that everyone begins with their name in the book. And once they commit the unpardonable sin or that final act of rejection of Jesus, their name is blotted out. And uh, 
And so I, I'm glad that my name is in that book. And I'm, I'm glad if your name is in the book. But let me say this. There are some people that we love whose names may be blotted out of that book. Moses was so passionate about his people being saved. He cried out to God for, for him to forgive them. And he said, but if not, God, blot my name out of the book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Now, you know, I, I heard a sermon uh, preached a few years ago by a pastor that I respect greatly. And he pointed out the fact that the people of Israel made a molten calf. They went away from the Lord over and over again throughout their, their time in the wilderness, and there at Kadesh Barnea. And the question was asked, was it because Moses was a bad leader that they didn't follow? And you know, after you study the Word of God, you have to come to the conclusion he was an incredible leader. In fact, at one point, God said that there was none on the earth that was more humble than he was. That's an amazing statement, really. The truth is that he loved God. He loved the people. He led them humbly. And he cared for them. And yet the people still didn't follow. And, and you know, sometimes people get to the place where they think, well, if I go to a church as a better pastor, you know, things would be better for me. You know, the reality is you might have the pastor God wants you to have, and the problem is not with your leader. I wonder where the problem rested in the camp of Israel. I don't think it was always in Moses' tent. I think perhaps it was in the tabernacle of the rebellious and stiff-necked people that refused to follow the leadership that God had given them. Now, that's not the case in our church. And if it is, don't tell me, because I, I don't know about it. But I'm just going to say to you that Moses cried out to God for the people. He loved them. And he cried out for God's mercy. He cried out for God's forgiveness for the people. And what we find is that in verse 7 of chapter 33, Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now this was not the tabernacle yet that was being constructed that would contain the, the Holy of Holies that would house the, the Ark of the Covenant that would have the brazen laver and the table of showbread and, and, uh, and all of these things. Uh, this was just probably the shell of it. It was the outer tabernacle for the other implements according to the commandment of the Lord had not yet been made. It was a place where Moses went and there the, the cloud of God descended upon the tent and, and God met with Moses there and they talked together. And what we find is that that tabernacle was kept outside of the camp, outside of the congregation where God met with man. I, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I think at that point in time that it's interesting to notice that it was outside the camp. But uh, listen... The Bible speaks to the people Israel in Revelation, and uh, I, I believe it's here, Revelation 21, where uh, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and uh, God will be with them and be their God and be their people, for He shall dwell with them. That was a looking forward to a time uh, when, uh, because the law was fulfilled in Christ and the veil of the temple was rent in twain, there was coming a time where men would have access unto God. And when the new Jerusalem would come down out of heaven, the tabernacle of God would be with men. You say, well, I, I know that tabernacle means a temporary dwelling. It's a tent. And, 
is God only going to dwell with men temporarily? No. I think in Revelation, the word tabernacle is used because uh, God is the God of heaven and of the new earth. And he goes back and forth. And a tabernacle or a temple could never properly house an omnipotent God. A God who fills up every place. An omnipresent God. And so he, he doesn't have a permanent dwelling just there in the new Jerusalem or in the new heaven. What we find is that he, he's there with all of his people. And hence God used the term tabernacle. But here we see Moses came into the tabernacle to meet with God. And the Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 33, it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into, his, in, into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I, I want you to, to see something here. When Moses met with God, all the people worshipped every man in his tent door. They bowed down and they worshipped. Now, you know what? I'm not a patriarch. I'm not an apostle. Uh, I'm, I'm not a king. I'm nothing. The Bible declares such. The Bible says, Neither is he that planteth anything or he that watereth anything, but God that giveth the increase. So what that means is I'm a big fat zero. I'm a nothing. I, I, I'm nobody. Uh, I, I don't have a, a, a website by my name, markchapel.com. I don't. Um, I, I, I don't write a blog that the masses listen to. I'm not a well-published author. I'm, I'm a nobody. But l- let me say this to you. That I believe that God's people ought to pray that their pastor meets with God face to face. And they ought to pray, God, would you give our pastor the word that we need to hear? I can remember many times in my own life when I was going through seasons of great difficulty and sorrow. And I can remember uh, being in traffic and driving many miles to get to the church I was attending. And I can remember sitting on the 91 freeway in traffic in Southern California. And sometimes it would take me two or three hours to get to church. And there were times where I'd be stuck in that traffic and I'd be watching the clock on the dash of my car. And I just knew that uh, I wasn't going to make it. And I was praying, I'm praying, God, would you please give the pastor the message that he needs to bring? And, and God, would you please encourage the hearts of the people with that message? And God, would you give them the message that I need to hear? And a lot of times when, when I couldn't, uh, when, when I knew by the time I got there, they'd all be gone home. I'd just call the pastor's phone and leave them a message and say, I'm, I'm, I'm on the 91 in traffic. I'm not going to make it, preacher. I'm praying for you. I love you. I'll see you Sunday. And I pray all week, God, give the pastor the message that I need to hear. God, would you fill him with thy Holy Spirit? Would he meet with you face to face in the tabernacle as it were? And God, would you speak to him so that I might hear from heaven when he stands behind the sacred desk to give the word of God? And and folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm nobody. I'm just a common, ordinary guy just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time, and I have my issues just like you have your issues. But God has given me a precious work to do, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon my life. And I just can't conjure that up. I need the prayers of God's people. I need to meet with God face to face. The precious work that I do is to meet with God and to pray and to study and to call out to God in the behalf of the people and to have a heart that says, God, if you can't save the people, then Lord, I'm willing for for my name to be blotted out if it were possible. God, please, would you forgive your people? Moses cried out to God for mercy, for God to stay his hand of judgment. He cried out to God for the forgiveness so that it would no longer be held against the people of God. But not only that, we see that the Bible reveals in verse 12, Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. 
Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm nobody. I, I, I went to a small Bible college. Uh, I, uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm no great shakes. And I'm going to tell you something. God knows my name. He knows who I am. Moses said, Lord, I don't know who you're going to send up with me, but you've told me that you know my name and that I have found grace in your sight. There's nothing greater than to know that Almighty God knows your name and that you have found grace in His sight. And He said, Now therefore I pray Thee, if I have found grace in Thy sight, show me now Thy way that I may know Thee, that I may find grace in Thy sight, and consider that this nation is Thy people. And He said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know, I'm just going to say this to you. If God is not with us, what's the point? We need to determine that we're going to go with God, live in His presence, and know that He's the one who has promised to give us rest. You know, we live in an evil world. I, I spoke to someone today that said they canceled their Facebook account because with everything that was going on in the world, they just couldn't bear to see all that was going on in hear all that people were saying, all the many varied opinions. Some of what came to me today in, in email and text messages and social media and different forms, it, it's just hard to describe and put into words. And sometimes the mind just goes and you, you go home and you lay down and you've slept for eight hours and you wake up and you feel like that you've just been run over by a truck. There's no rest in your soul. And the fact is that when we rest in the Lord and we go confidently in the presence of the Lord, He will give His beloved rest. The fact today is that He said, I don't want to go if you're not going with me. The fact is that, listen, I don't want to go anywhere where God is not. The fact is, He's everywhere, but I want to remain in His presence. And if God's not going to be in it, I don't want to be in it either. If God's not for something, then I don't want to be for it. Listen, sometimes we're quick to jump on some bandwagon and and, and, and join in with people that are doing this and are doing that, and we haven't stopped for one moment to see if God is in it at all. The fact is, he said, if thy presence go not with me, then God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I love my wife. She's a wonderful woman. I said to her one day, honey, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I, I just want to go wherever she goes. I want to be with her. And I want to be with God in His presence. But he said in verse 16, Wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. And Moses, I know thee by name. I know where you live. 
I know what you need. And I'll call upon you. And we'll talk about it. You see, he cried out for mercy. And God stayed his hand of judgment. He cried out forgiveness for forgiveness that the sin would not be imputed to the people. And now he cried out for God's grace for the Lord to be kinder to the people than what they deserved. Kinder to Him than what He deserved. To give them what they had no right to, but because He was a gracious God, to give it to Him. You see, mercy is God withholding from us that which we deserve. Grace is God withholding from us that which we deserve and giving to us that which we could never earn or deserve. And that comes through the forgiveness that was purchased at Calvary by our Savior Jesus, who has said, this is the new covenant that I'll make with you. Your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. We received grace and forgiveness. Do you know, I'm thankful that I've received the mercy, the forgiveness, and the grace of the Lord. But can I say something to you? There's more to life than me getting my insurance, my, my fire insurance. I talked to somebody recently and said, man, I, I miss you in church. And he said, well, you know, I, I pretty much heard all the sermons that you know, can be preached down there. I've, I've already learned all that stuff. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, well, I'm glad that you have your fire insurance all taken out. But, you know, there's a lot of people in burning houses that need to be rescued. And God's looking for somebody that'll be on his side, that'll strap on a sword and say, I'm on the Lord's side and be counted for God. And show up to, to declare God's mercy and forgiveness and God's grace. There's more to this life than just saying, well, okay, now I got mine. Moses cried out for others. But as the Lord made the promise that His grace would extend to the people of Israel, Moses made another request of the Lord. He said, in verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. That's an unusual request. The Bible tells us that he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. The Lord speaking to Moses, saying, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And listen, that, the Lord is saying specifically, look, I'm not just going to save nations. I'm going to save the individual that calls upon me. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, be Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but, not, but my face shalt not be seen. We know that the Lord gave him a glimpse of his glory. He couldn't look him directly in the face. One day we will. We will be looking into the very face of Jesus. And we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And there was glory when we got saved. But God is carrying us from glory to glory. 
there's work yet to be done from here to heaven. And so we stand upon the rock, Jesus Christ. And as God passes by, we know that Colossians declares that we are hidden with Christ in God. It is, as it were, the cleft of the rock, covered with the almighty hand of God. And He wants to pass by. And let us catch just a glimpse of His glory. You know, the Bible says, Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, both now and evermore. Amen. And I believe that that God wants to reveal His glory. I think God wants His people to go just beyond the idea of save me. But God, we're concerned about the salvation of others. And God, we want to see a manifestation of Your glory. And yet, there are so many people that are immersed in their golden calf images and and chasing after the things of this world that we haven't even thought about that. Let alone said, I'm on the Lord's side, count me in, and been a part of the congregation falling on their faces and crying out for God to reveal Himself and to, and to show His glory. And I believe that God wants to be glorified in His church. And I believe that He wants for us to understand that He will hold us in the hollow of His hand, in the cleft of the rock, as it were, and He will pass by. And you know, I want to just hear the brush of angel wings. I just want to see the glory revealed in this place. I want to see God do what only a God can do and that not what flesh can do. I want to see God transform lives and I want to sometimes be so taken up with that desire that my words cannot even be put into print. There's just a dash on the page because of a heaviness of heart before God. I want my heart to be pure before Him that I might see a glimpse of His glory. For you said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We don't see His glory because our hearts are so convoluted with the things of this world and taken up with its implements. It's more than just about us. There are people out there that are dying in their sins that need a Savior. And the cry is going out tonight, who is on the Lord's side? Who will stand in the gate of the tabernacle and worship God and cry out for God to commune with His men that they may stand in the pulpits and boldly declare what God has revealed unto them. The truth tonight is this, that God showed His mercy and He showed His forgiveness and His grace to Calvary. We have been the recipients of it. And He desires to pass by and reveal a glimpse of His glory that we will see in all of its fullness when we see Christ. But from now until then, would you cry out and say, Lord, would you show me your glory? Would you purify me, Lord? Would you cause me to be a vessel that could see what others might not see? Show me your glory. This is something that I have preached on, a message that I've given on the golden calf catastrophe and and other messages. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes we can read it and we think about others. Well, they really need to hear this part or that. And the truth is we all need this. To understand it's not just about us. We need to cry out to the Lord with a broken heart. For those that are under judgment. And then 
when we see the grace of God manifested, we need to, like Moses, say, God, would you show me your glory? You know, I, I've just come to the place where, you know, if God's not going to go, then I don't want to go. If God's not leading me somewhere, I'll just stay home. The fact is, I want God to be in this place. I want God to be in this work. I want God to show us His glory at Freeway Baptist Church. And if God isn't in something, then I don't want to be in it. And God's looking for some people that will stand up and say, I'm on the Lord's side. God, I want to be where you are. I want to see a glimpse of your glory. Would to God that would be the heart cry of every person that's watching tonight. Lord, would you show me your glory. Thank you for your mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Help me to understand it's not all about me. And from here to heaven, we'd like to see a glimpse of your glory. Heavenly Father, we pray that tonight you administer the truth in such a powerful way that we wake up in the morning thinking about what we've heard tonight. That we'll not soon let it slip from our consciousness. May we not lose its message on the nightly news, on a dish of ice cream or a game on the computer. Lord, I pray that You would work mightily in every heart. And Lord, through these days when we have restrictions, we know that You're not restricted. You're God. Show us Your glory, O oh God. We want to see manifestation of the might and the power of Almighty God. And may we give you all the glory, all of the honor and praise. For this we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining with us tonight. I just want to take a moment and speak to those that may be watching that do not know the Lord as their Savior. Not sure that they're forgiven, that they've received the mercy of God, and that heaven is their home. And if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully. You see, Jesus loves you so much that He wants to spend forever in heaven with you. But we have to understand something first. Number one, that we're all sinners. That we've sinned against a holy God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible reveals to us that we're sinners not simply because we've done things wrong, but because that's what we are. We're born sinners. We're the children of Adam and his sin was imputed to us. And that's a problem because there's a consequence for sin. And the consequence for our sin is separation from God in a place of suffering called hell. But the Bible tells us this, that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we deserve to go to hell, Jesus said, look, I'm going to take the punishment for their sin in my own body, and I'll die on the cross in their place so that they can be forgiven. And that's what Jesus did. And now He offers that forgiveness and a home in heaven to all who will receive it. For you see, though Jesus died to forgive everyone, not everyone is forgiven because not everyone has confessed to Him their need of forgiveness and asked for that forgiveness personally. He says, I want to give it to you freely as a gift. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift that Jesus offers to anyone who will believe Him and receive it. And if tonight you know that you're a sinner and that you can't change that fact. You can't save yourself. You realize that Jesus loved you so much that He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day 
to offer you forgiveness and a home in heaven with Him forever. And if you want to receive that gift that He offers to you freely and promises that you can have in Romans 10.13 when He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's your desire, I'm going to pray in just a moment and I want you to pray along with me. Now my prayer will not save you, but if the words of this prayer reflect what is in your heart and you desire to be saved, then I want you to pray along with me just like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to You confessing that I am a sinner and I realize that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin so that I could receive forgiveness and spend forever in heaven with God one day. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you just prayed that prayer on the authority of God's Word, you are saved. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's eternal forgiveness. That's what God's man cried out for, for the people, and God granted it. And folks, if you cried out to Him, He's granted it to you. Send us a note, an email. Let us know about your decision. We want to send you a free Bible and some information that will help you to grow in your life with Jesus. Thank you.